the world got pretty real pretty quickly. And I was faced really with the reality that I didn't have a next step. And it was the first time in my life that I didn't know what the next step was because I'm a planner. I always seemed to know what was happening, but I didn't manage to to snare myself one of those coveted graduate positions. So I thought, well, what else can I do? Welcome to the Council Podcast, a podcast about life as an in-house lawyer. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I am passionate about all things in-house and am so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. And today's guest is me. I am actually putting myself on the other side of the microphone this time, and my wonderful sister, Laura Story, has offered to interview me and ask some questions that she thinks listeners would like to know about my career and and my journey through private practice to in-house and many other things. So thank you, Laura, for offering to do this. It is so lovely to have you as the person interviewing me because you are and have always been my sidekick since I was about 18 months old. So here we are, and you are yet again helping me and cheering me on and and being such a massive support. And I should say for the listeners that you actually don't come from the legal world. You have a degree in psychology and work in psychosocial support roles and in a completely different field. So we have taken different paths but have a lot of commonalities and core values that that are the same. So I know that you'll have some questions for me that may be a little left of field, maybe coming from someone that uh, doesn't live and breathe in the law, but that's why I thought it would be really great to have you as my interviewer and I wanted to say thank you for offering to do that for me. Oh you're welcome and thanks for having me. I'm really excited as you know I've always been really fascinated by the work you do because uh, for the most part to me it seems so glamorous and exciting <laughs> and like extremely stressful so it's really great to get to unpack a little bit more of what you actually do and any chance to chat I'm down you know. Well, we're doing this on a Saturday morning and we've already spent a good 20 minutes having a catch up anyway. And we thought, oh, we should probably do the podcast. Should get started. Yeah. (laughs) So let's get started. Over to you. You are the host. Fabulous. Well, I'm going to kick off with an easy one. You always ask your guests which store they would take an unlimited credit card to if they had one. And I love this question. I really loved in particular Anna's answer from episode two. It spoke to me when she said Bergdorf. So I'm curious, Mel, what would be your answer to that question? Well, I've had a bit of time to think about this. <laughs> To be honest, if I had an unlimited credit card, I think I would take it over to the Hawthorne Garage in Brisbane. It is a beautiful, a neighborhood grocery store with a little bit of a bougie flair. And I'm there almost every day for coffee at the very least, but I just adore all of their products. And I would also, you know, use the opportunity to probably clear them out, buy everything and take it to some people in the local area that I live in that are living rough and seem to be going uh, from day to day without not perhaps the, the freshest food and produce. 
I hope that in this scenario, I'm coming with you because I have yes. loved their coffee forever as well. So Mel, you know, I'm such a big fan of yours and you're clearly kicking major goals. Uh, but I loved in your first episode where Theo shared about rejection and perseverance and cold calling. Mm. Are you able to share with us some of the setbacks or rejections that you may have had to get to this point? My career path has most certainly not been easy uh, at every turn by any stretch of the imagination. A key point for me in my career journey required the most resilience was when I graduated from law school without a job to go to, basically. So in the first instance, I thought, this is absolutely awesome. I'm going to go backpacking. So I took a a bit of a gap year. I worked in a, a hospital admin role. And I basically saved and then went to Europe and traveled. And it was a real opportunity to take a breath and take a breather because I hadn't done that after high school. After my travels were finished and I essentially ran out of money, so I had to come home, the world got pretty real pretty quickly. And I was faced really with the reality that I didn't have a next step. And it was the first time in my life that I didn't know what the next step was because I'm a planner. I always seemed to know what was happening, but I didn't manage to to snare myself one of those coveted graduate positions. And at the time, that's what I was led to believe was really the only way that I could start as a lawyer in in a top tier national firm through a, a formal graduate program. And I didn't get an opportunity. So I think thought, well, what else can I do? I don't know anybody in the law. I don't have a particularly strong network yet. I'm going to have to pound the pavement. So I printed off my resume 180 times to be exact, and I dropped it at every single law office, barristers chambers. And uh, it took me two days. I got blisters. It was not a fun exercise to rock up unannounced and essentially drop off a resume to the receptionist and suggest that if they had any opportunities for Um, paralegal, intern, baby lawyer, I was there and I was willing to do the work. So that required me to be uh, quite humble. I felt like I was, you know, a bit of an inconvenience and I just wasn't very comfortable doing that. I didn't have a lot of confidence, but I dug deep and I got the job done. So (laughs) (laughs) I think from that exercise, I actually didn't get any phone calls or, or any opportunities out of it. But what did happen was about a week later, the career development officer at my university contacted me and said that a national law firm was looking for extra graduates to start in a few months. Would I be interested? And I couldn't believe my luck. That was the holy grail of opportunities. And I I don't know if my my efforts in pounding the pavement shifted something in the universe and created, you know, the opportunity for me. I don't know how it works, but I know that I put in some real effort and dug deep and I was given an opportunity which I took with both hands. That really is a lot of effort and and really having to back yourself, which as a young graduate, that's really hard to do. And look, like you said, it paid off for you. You got the holy grail of jobs. It was extra hard because so many of my friends at university already had these positions in firms and it felt like everybody had something except me. 
And I know that's not the truth. It wasn't the truth. It just kind of felt that way. Looking back in hindsight, I think it was only, you know, 10% of the people I knew at university that were actually all sorted with something straight after the law school. But of course, they were the only ones really talking about it. And everybody else like me that was feeling a bit ashamed even that we just didn't have something lined up, we felt, um, or at least I felt like a bit of a failure. And I kept that to myself. So I felt like I was all alone. And I know now that it is most certainly not the case. The majority of law students graduate without some kind of full-time paid position in the legal industry to go to. And that's where the real hustle begins, to be honest. And they're not sharing this with you when you're at university. No, I mean, you know what it's like. We're all guilty of it as, as humans. We share the highlight reel on social media and elsewhere. You know, I was pretty young when I graduated. It didn't feel like something that I could share openly, that I was struggling to get a job. And to be fair to myself, this was just a few months after the global financial crisis back in early 2009 and the jobs were really far and few between the big firms were not hiring as many graduates there wasn't as much work just generally the economy had contracted and of course if people are pulling back on spending and hiring then that's going to affect your your early your earliest your most junior positions because they're the ones that often require the most training and the most hand-holding and and won't always be profitable necessarily to a firm for a, for a number of years. So right. it was tough, but you know, I found a way. So that's a really interesting point considering we are in quite an unsteady economic climate at the mm. moment with this COVID-19 mess. Absolutely. Is this something maybe that graduates from this year's law class need to really think about and keep in mind when they are searching for jobs that, you know, maybe it's not necessarily them, but the opportunities may not be as great as they were even last year, for instance? totally you're spot on. I know of a number of law firms that are deferring graduate programs this year and even next year Um, and I think just generally we're seeing some redundancies and layoffs and legal industry uh, particularly in private practice is certainly having a tumultuous time. I don't think there's any denying that and that is real. So what it means is there may not be as many opportunities in volume but there will still be opportunities and you're just going to have to work even harder to try and get them and perhaps be even even more open-minded to what might be your first step in the door may not be what you were hoping it may not be anywhere near where you want to practice but it's related to the legal industry just enough that you need to take it by both hands and I don't think this is a time to be fussy. So given your experience in you know somewhat a, a similar sort of time and Uh, Now for the younger folk that are coming through who we're all thinking of, what um, is maybe some advice that you were given in the past that really helped you in times like that when you had to back yourself or when times were a little bit more challenging? What's like a really golden gem of advice that you've carried through? I think it's important to remember that this career is a marathon. It's not a sprint and that you need to maintain a long-term vision for yourself and be flexible with it. If you don't land your dream job straight away, that's completely okay. We're living longer, we're working longer. There is a lot of time, you know, I feel like we are, we feel like we're under pressure. We 
we self-impose these arbitrary time limits on ourselves. I want to have this by 25, this by 28, this by 30. And it's all just complete BS, to be honest. We put it on ourselves. It comes from the culture. It comes from society. And if you pull back that layer and just take a breather and remember that you really do have another 40, 50, 60 years of working life, there is time to pivot, to try new things, to fail, to succeed, to have a wonderful career in the law and also outside of the law. A law degree is a wonderful springboard for many careers. And if you take a long view for yourself, it takes the pressure off when you're not actually really, you know, hitting your your short-term goals straight away. You can just take a little bit of pause and remember that it's a marathon, there's time, and everything is unfolding as it's meant to. So you, you do your very best and you try and create the opportunities for yourself that you want. But at the end of the day, there is time and have fun. (laughs) <laughs> no one says that enough. <laughs> well, look, Mel, you have shared with us how you did get this golden opportunity, which you worked really hard for, and you, you got into the corporate role. Mm-hmm. But as we all know, you are the in-house lawyer. So tell us about your trend. <laughs> well, tell us about your transition from the more corporate sphere into in-house. So I was pretty early into my private practice uh career and I had an opportunity to go on secondment to a client and I actually went into the client's business. I sat with a project team and I was there working as a lawyer in that team. So I got a taste essentially of in-house life and it was the first time that I even really knew that lawyers could work in-house. I didn't understand that concept. I wasn't told about it at university and it you know, was something that I learned along the way. And when I had that experience, I just loved it so much. I couldn't ignore that for me, it felt like I had found my place. I felt like I was so valuable and helpful to that team. And I was living and breathing the problems with them. I understood the bigger context of what was going on and what I was there to help with. I went back to the firm after the secondment finished, but I couldn't shake the experience. I couldn't shake the feeling that that was something that I wanted for myself. I could see a path for myself where I would enjoy work a lot more back in the in-house environment. So I put in plans to make that happen. And at the time I was about three years posted admission experience. And that was pretty junior to be honest at the time to be making that transition. I don't think that that's the case these days, but back then it, it was something that was, uh, I was cautioned against doing that it was too early, but I really, I don't know. I had a gut feel that that wasn't really going to be my story. As I said, I put in place some plans to make myself the ideal candidate for a junior legal counsel role. That included some particular study with the College of Law. They have a Master's of Applied Law in-house practice. And I took that on with my own money and my own time. And I did that because I wanted to show a future employer that I was serious about working in-house. I also started making connections with recruiters in Brisbane that were specialists at placing in-house lawyers. And I just started to reach out to them and explain what I was looking for and I suppose to keep me in mind if any opportunities came up. I also gave them the opportunity to review my CV and and make suggestions and it took about 12 months to be honest to make that transition. There was not a lot of junior legal counsel roles in Brisbane at the time and uh, when one 
came up, I would just jump at it and and have a go. So I was, yeah, lucky to land an interview and then a job at Brisbane Airport Corporation, which was incredible opportunity for junior legal counsel. And I, yeah, I took that with both hands. I think it's wild that even you as a university graduate and working in the legal field didn't really know what in-house law was. That's wild to me. (laughs) That's not uncommon. Even to this day, I connect with lots of law students on LinkedIn and uh, Instagram in particular, and they are often really intrigued by what I do and they hadn't heard of the term in-house before, or they they may have uh, vague ideas of what it might be. So what is a standard day as an in-house lawyer like? I don't have a standard day, to be honest. (laughs) Every single day is very different. Largely for me, it'll follow a common cadence. So I work in a a global technology company now and being global, I have clients all over the world. So generally the day will start off early with some call or perhaps interaction with our US team who are still online. And my manager is based in the US as well. So we'll always catch up earlier in the morning. I'm working through things that have come in overnight from the EU team and the London team. Then in the middle of the day, my APAC team, Australia, New Zealand, we've got Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, they'll get some attention and I'll work with them. And then towards the end of the day, our European team, particularly in Berlin and London, they're coming back online again so I'll interact with them. Each day is so different in that I will be giving advice on so many different areas of the law and to so many different areas of the business that it's it's really hard to find a common, <laughs> a standard day. The company I work for is very dynamic and we move pretty quickly. So if I receive an, an email, if I haven't responded with about, I don't know, maybe four hours, I'm going to be getting a Slack message hey, have you got my email? You know, where is it at? What do you think? There's not much room or time for sitting on things. I need to be responsive and available. There are many parts of the business that will reach out to me. Mostly I'm working with our sales team and our commercial organization and helping them get customer contracts across the line, partner contracts. Yeah, no standard. It's everything. It's for everyone. I, yeah, it's across the board. Absolutely. Wow, your one of your days sounds like a week worth of work, <laughs> but it sounds exciting and it sounds interesting. Do you think that this way of working is unique for the tech industry? I think that uh, it is quite unique to a global company and also in the tech space because it moves super quickly. So I found that that is... Um, how I practice now. I feel like I'm on a jet ski, whereas my previous role at the airport was much more like a a big tanker ship. It was very risk averse, of course, being an airport, you could imagine. And it was a slow and steady beast. So do you find that actually the in-house role is really different depending on where you're working? Absolutely within industry and within company, it'll be so different. And that's why I love my podcast, to be honest, because I'm meeting so many awesome in-house lawyers that have such varied practices and experiences. And there's so much more difference than would first meet the eye. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. So I think if anyone was looking to have an opportunity in-house, you know, you could really find yourself working almost any industry with any kind of experience. It's, yeah, it's awesome. 
That's great. That's really exciting to know, actually. So we talked before about some of the advice that you had for up-and-coming lawyers or law graduates, um, given the times. I'd love to know what was one of the most unhelpful pieces of advice regarding your career that you've had to sort of leave behind, move away from? I think the people who cautioned me against going in-house too early, in quotation marks, were doing so from, you know, a good place. But it was unhelpful, to be honest, and I'm really glad I didn't listen. I don't think it was too early for the experience that I went into. And I don't think that I have regretted at all being an in-house lawyer. I'm very glad I left that behind. And I think there's a, a lesson there in trusting your intuition and not listening to the stories that other people create for you about your own life and your own career may certainly be their experience and it's no less valid for them. Perhaps they did regret it or perhaps they did feel that they were too junior, but I can't say that that's been my experience. And the reason why I didn't feel like it was too early specifically for me was that I was going into a team where I was the most junior by far and I was surrounded by absolute experts and senior lawyers who really knew their stuff. So if you were quite a junior or perhaps wanting to go in-house straight out of university, I do think there is something to be said for finding a team where you can be surrounded by senior lawyers to mentor you and to guide you. It's not to say that that's the only way or that that's for everyone. But for me, I still needed to develop my technical skills. I still did have some refinement. Those things come over time, but they're most certainly better aided when you're surrounded by senior lawyers who are quite generous with their time to to teach you. No, that's great. And I think it's really important because it's come up a few times now Mm. in our chat on actually how competitive this field is, uh, regardless of which role you're trying to go into. So you've just forged your own path and it's worked really well for you and it's important to recognize that you took that really big jump on your own backing yourself when others weren't thanks honey which is amazing (laughs) yeah and so as as you know I've just returned from working with um, some young people in London Mm -hmm. where honestly my eyes were just opened to how the young generations coming through are preparing themselves for university admission and and professions afterwards at such a young age, Mm. much younger than I remember even considering university. Is there anything that future law students or current law students should be doing to set themselves apart from other applicants come the time when they need to go out and do the, the cold calling and the resume dropping? If I was receiving applicants, I'm not always looking for the top marks. I cannot say that that's going to be my, my, the, the place that my eye first goes to. And of course, it's important to show consistency and that you're applying yourself, but it's not everything. I want to work with, with junior lawyers who are real people as well and who can show a side of themselves that's not just academic. And I guess why that's so important for me and for an in-house role is that you are communicating with people of every level and every walk of life in the business. And you need to be able to have empathy and have skills to relate to all walks of life. That's going to be something I'll be looking for because if you can't communicate to all all types of people and in the style that they require, you won't find yourself enjoying your time in-house, I don't think. There's such satisfaction that comes from being able to communicate to the people in the way that they need to be communicated. So I think that's that's super important. And I think 
that showing yourself as your whole self is is so interesting. I love to see a resume that has some hobbies listed that are a little bit left of field, you know. I'd love to hear about your stamp collection or your, you know, your legal (laughs) blog, your podcast on, I don't know, arts and crafts, poetry, marathon running, whatever it might be. It might, I just think it's so lovely to see a resume where there's a little bit of spark and personality and you see more of the whole person. Because at the end of the day, if you have a law degree, you can do the work. Generally speaking, you're going to be an intelligent individual who can apply themselves to something that's pretty difficult and you can see something through for a long period of time. So you've already got that innate discipline and just a basic level of intelligence to even get that piece of paper, honestly. So after that, you're looking to, you're looking to find someone that you can work with, someone that you can spend 40, 50 hours a week with who's you know, kind of just a a nice person to hang out with and to, to enjoy their company. That's such an important part of hiring, looking at the team that you have and the cultural fit and wanting people who are, who are real people. So yeah, I hope there's something in there. And I think there would be different lists for, for different lawyers and they would look for different things, no doubt. Uh, But I don't think I'm alone in, in my suggestions there. I think that's so lovely. I, I love that people are, hiring on these bases like you're taking into account who the human being is Mm -hmm. and can you sit next to them for you know long days and have these really yeah I think that's beautiful well speaking of hobbies you've created a natural segue to my next question oh I love that of I've always turned to you for book recommendations but actually I know that you have a few law related books that both law lawyers and non-lawyers can appreciate can you sling us a few suggestions of what we should be reading at the moment absolutely I have so many they're mainly related to well-being and wellness in the law. The Wellness Doctrines by Jerome Durasimi is amazing for high school students, for law students and early career lawyers as well. I highly recommend that. And Happy Lawyer, Happy Life. That is an amazing book by Clarissa Raywood, who is a Brisbane family law practitioner who has a real interest in understanding how to be a happy lawyer and how to bring happiness to the legal profession because it's an area that we're not doing so well in, to be honest. And I know you would see this in your practice without a doubt, Laura, but you know, the mental health and well-being of lawyers is, mm, it could be better. We are a particular type of person who, who thrives on, you know, meeting external validation and we wrap our identity up in being seen as perfect and being seen as knowing everything. And that is completely unsustainable and unrealistic. Uh, and it leads to burnout, stress, anxiety, depression, real heavy stuff. I just feel like there's such a space and a place for us as lawyers to be taking it seriously and to be trying to change it for the next generation. And yes, there are there is hard work and there's expectations and clients are paying real money for real results, but there are certainly things that we can do to bring ourselves to the work in a, a well and happy place. I know it's it's different for everyone. Everyone has their own stories and battles and pressures but generally speaking if you can get some habits in place earlier in your career I think you're going to be really well stood up for for the future and and looking after yourself so that you can come to work and be well and enjoy it there's lots of pearls of wisdom in both of those books but that's great Mel because as we've just heard throughout this 
podcast. You hustle and slay all day. So <laughs> I'm a t-shirt. But no, you do. There's an amazing amount of work that goes into your role. So can you tell us what are some of your self-care regimes? What are some things that keep you healthy and balanced and ready to tackle this massive job that you do? Um, I take it pretty seriously, to be honest. I have a pretty consistent routine that revolves around exercise, just moving, just moving my body, even if it's going for a walk or a run. I can't, I can't explain how much of a better human I am if I do some movement in the morning. And I think that just gets the endorphins flowing and it's a, it's a lovely way to start the day. I think meditation is important. I don't have a very disciplined practice, but at least three or four times a week, I'll pop on the uh, Smiling Mind app and, uh, and just you know, spend 15 or 20 minutes just focusing on my breathing. I think the biggest thing that I work into my self-care regime is my mindset and the thoughts that I'm thinking. I, I really try to be deliberate about and I really try to pick up on, on limiting thoughts, negative thoughts, things that I'm telling myself that are mean or nasty or not even serving me or that I wouldn't even say to my best friend. And I know that we can be so harsh on ourselves and we're our own worst critic and the type of work that I do requires a high level of attention to detail and a high level of um, hold myself to quite a standard that is not sustainable all the time. So I try to really catch myself on when I'm getting into some negative self-talk and I will almost coach myself as if I would if I was speaking to you and I would say literally like these are the conversations I have with myself on a daily basis like no Mel you're doing really well here this is new for you you haven't done this type of work before let's take our time let's breathe let's ask for help it's exactly what I would say to a friend that was going through a similar situation and I think it comes from a place of self-compassion and I'm I've been working on that very deliberately for uh, at least the last year to be honest it's become a real part of my practice. I could talk on that topic for an hour, but it's important to me to be my own cheerleader, to be honest. Otherwise, I wouldn't I wouldn't do this podcast. I wouldn't do these things that are hard that are, you know, that my inner bully can get a little bit critical of because it's not good enough or who's going to listen or who do you think you are? You know all those nasty things that our mind can come up with and I like to nip them in the bud because they're just such a waste of my time and energy, to be honest. <laughs> Exactly. I, man, you've just nailed that. And I'm very happy to see that you have quite a wide range of things that you can pull in, take out of your toolbox, so totally. to speak. Totally. You taught me that concept <laughs> of the, the toolbox and, and I've added to it from the books that I recommended before to other podcasts, to all of the things that, that I learnt over the years in my life, my experience is to create a, a toolbox of self-care routines and regimes and rituals. I guess that I would like to finish on a, a final question by actually stealing from another podcast, one of my favorite podcasts, Work in Progress by Sophia Bush. And I just wanted to know, Mel, what in your life is a work in progress right now? I think my ability to run is a work in progress. Yes. <laughs> I was uh, telling myself the old story that I'm not a runner, that I can't run. Uh, and then in November last year, I actually called BS on that and thought, no, I actually can do this. So <laughs> I have committed to uh, working myself up to five kilometers 
and I'm doing that now, which is um, an amazing feat, to be honest, for me, because it's not something that comes very naturally and it's not something that I was ever inclined to do. On the professional side, For me, I'm always learning, always learning about different areas of the law. There's developments happening all the time. It's never ending, which is wonderful because I don't think I'll ever get bored. But what I'm being quite deliberate about in my learnings uh, more recently is around leadership and managing and working within teams and being collaborative and getting the best out of people because for me I'm I'm looking ahead and eventually at some point I would like to try my hand at the head of legal or general counsel role and that that's certainly not something that's that I'm ready for yet but I want to start understanding how I can be that leader and be that uh, that person that can bring a, a team together so it's not so much about the technical legal skills but more about those people skills and those the EQ basically that uh, that any leader of a team would need to learn and a lot of it comes innately but a lot of it I think can be learnt and there are theories that I I want to deep dive into so that's certainly a work in progress and we'll see how we go. Well, you're definitely very busy, Mel. I can say that for a fact. You've got a lot going on at the moment and you're growing all the time, which is amazing. So thank you for taking the time to answer my questions and to share a little bit of yourself with your listeners. And I hope everyone enjoys this latest episode of Council. Oh, thank you, honey. You're so wonderful. Best sister ever. Thank you for listening to this episode of Council. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn or Instagram. Find me at The In-House Lawyer.